unabashed. The most unpredictable becomes a headline. The most volatile outrageous behavior. Unsubstantiated narratives. A battle of personalities. Welcome to Grand Tamasha, a co-production of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace and the Hindu Sun-Times. I'm your host, Milan Vaishnav. On Sunday, the highly anticipated results from five state assembly elections were announced. These results come at a time of great uncertainty in India as the country is in the throes of a devastating second wave of the coronavirus. It is racking up nearly 400,000 new cases every day. To help us make sense of these elections and how they fit into the broader Indian political landscape, I'm joined today by the journalist Aditi Fadnis. Aditi is the longtime political editor and columnist at the Business Standard and one of the very few people I know who can write and speak knowledgeably literally about every single state or union territory in the country. I am so pleased to welcome her to the show for the very first time. Aditi, thanks for taking the time. Thank you very much. I'm really overwhelmed and really happy to be there. So, Aditi, before we get into the substance, um, I would be remiss if I didn't take a moment to recognize the enormous stress the people of India are under at the moment, particularly those who live in Delhi, which has become, unfortunately, the epicenter of the pandemic. Um, uh, I, I know this is what we came to talk about, but could you just give us a brief sense of, you know, what is life like right now in the city? Uh, well, I don't think there is any, not a single person who has not lost somebody from their fam- immediate family or extended family. So everyone is uh, trying to stay stay afloat in literally a sea of sorrow. Uh, Young people, I mean, I I don't know how to describe it. It is, uh, there is loss all around. Um, People are going about their work uh, stoically and in, uh, but uh, imbued with a sense of numbness. And uh, all that we are uh, grimly fighting for is to just stay healthy and just to to be able to breathe. I mean, there's a sense of helplessness one feels from being thousands of miles away, but uh, our heart goes out to you and to all of our friends and family and others who listen to the show in Delhi um, and hope that uh, the crest of the wave is here and we start to see a recovery. Um, you know, let me let me turn to the business at hand, which is the contest which which were announced over the weekend. You know, we're going to dig deeper into each of the elections, but maybe I should just start by asking you as you step back and kind of assess the results from a kind of 30,000 foot level, what to you are the sort of three or four main takeaways of this particular round of assembly elections? Uh, So the first is that uh, the BJP is, uh, was thought that it would uh, do extremely well in West Bengal. They said they would get uh, 200 uh, plus seats. Uh, many of their uh, strong supporters even believe that. Uh, it has done uh, well. From three, it has gone up to 78 uh, at last count. Uh, but it has not done as well as it thought it would. So uh, this it, there is a sense uh, among BJP voters also that they have been denied. And that spirit is going to imbue their interaction with uh, Trinamool Congress as well as everyone else uh, 
political leaders. And that is going to inform the relationship between the central BJP at the federal level and the state government uh, going forward, uh, which is not essentially a very good thing because uh, it's going to infect every decision that uh, the federal government takes and the state government takes. Uh, uh, we'll come back to this later in ways it's uh, in in the various ways in which it's going to affect uh, politics. But um, in terms of the other big takeaways, as you know, the opposition was uh, uh, gasping for a new uh, direction, and uh, this might have uh, come about now. Uh, I have a feeling that there's going to be a big uh, upheaval in uh, the way the opposition sees the government and the way it sees itself. And we are going to see some manifestation of this in the days to come, uh, especially where if a call is given to previous congressmen, former congressmen to come together, and that strikes some res resonance in the uh, among the dissident congressmen who are asking for a more active uh, congress leadership. So... Uh, that will be something to look forward to because uh, one reason why uh, an upheaval, uh, 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 a recast of the Congress was given up uh, or postponed was because of these assembly elections. So that's something that, that is on the cards. The total decimation of the left parties um, in West Bengal and their resurgence in Kerala is again something that uh, we uh, need to look at. We also need to look at uh, some ways of their revival in Tripura, uh, where, uh, as you know, they uh, were a formidable power till some years ago. And uh, how the BJP is now going to recast itself and meet the challenge of a new resurgent non-Congress, non-BJP opposition which may take new shape, uh, we have to see. In Telangana, for instance, in the by-elections, uh, the BJP candidate, which had, I mean, the BJP had high hopes from Telangana, the candidate uh, in the by-election has lost his deposit. Uh, elsewhere in, in, the, in, the, in the country, in Tamil Nadu, for instance, uh, the Pon Radhakrishnan, the former union uh, shipping minister, who was contesting the by-election in the Kanyakumari constituency, Lok Sabha constituency, has lost. So uh, there is a, a sense uh, that something is changing, and uh, this election, this round of elections, heralds that. So let me ask you first about West Bengal. For obvious reasons, the lion's share of media and political attention has been showered on this one state. We've seen the Trinamool Congress of Mamta Banerjee uh, withstand an all-out onslaught by the BJP. Uh, Mamta's party notched uh, 213 seats in an assembly of 294, while the BJP claimed around 77 seats. The left, it seems, has just won one seat, which, you know, really, as you alluded to earlier, represents the culmination of a pretty uh, stunning decline. Um, before we get into the factors at play on the ground, let me ask you a question about the stakes. You know, why was this election deemed to be so important for the Modi and the BJP in the first place? Uh, it was important for a number of prestige issues. 
it was important because Mamta Banerjee was proving to be an, an enormous thorn in the flesh. After all, uh, the same kind of prestige issue could have been used uh, or could have been applied to the election in, uh, say, uh, Odisha or in Telangana or in uh, Andhra Pradesh, but it wasn't. It was in Bengal because Bengal has uh, for a long, long time been uh, a kind of a horizon that the BJP has, not, has been unable to uh, touch. And this time, uh, rightly or wrongly, they felt they were within striking distance of uh, some sort of political presence. Uh, this was partly also borne out by the Lok Sabha election, where they did fantastically well. Uh, in this election too, I mean, the BJP will hold its uh, normal routine uh, sort of discussion. But this election too, they have actually done pretty well, however much uh, their adversaries might try to deny this. From three seats in the assembly to go up to 78 is no joke. Uh, the vote share, uh, granular vote share data will come out uh, fairly soon. They have capitalized, it seems at first blush, they have capitalized not just on the losses of the Tridamul, but also on the losses of the uh, Congress. Because in a in a place like uh, I mean this is the constituency of the of uh, 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 some of the biggest uh, Congress uh, leaders, uh, they have uh, wrested it from below their knee, below their nose, and uh, I think uh, in uh, areas where the the the, the uh, in tribal areas and areas where the Trinamool Congress had done really badly in 2019. Uh, the BJP has grabbed those also. Uh, it has won, of course, some of the Trinamool uh, seats. Nandigram is a is a prime example. Uh, some of the, the the important Trinamool seats, but their area of uh, uh, their area of uh, sort of uh, high achievement is in North Bengal and in other, uh, those areas, uh, those tribal areas, <clears throat> including areas like Alipurduar and uh, North 24 Pardanas and so on. So, so getting to the result itself, you know, in the end, in terms of seats, it was not particularly close. Uh, Neelanjan Sarkar had a column in the Hindu Sun Times where he chalked up Mamta's victory to two factors. Number one, an array of very popular welfare and cash transfer schemes, and number two, a very strong emphasis on women, including a concerted effort to ensure that the aforementioned schemes um, were delivered straight to uh, women in households across Bengal. Uh, do you agree that these were the two prime factors uh, at play, or were there other things you think that helped turn the tide? Uh, I think people who were Mamta-minded may have been in two minds, uh, particularly after the BJP's onslaught, its uh, appeals, its uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, referring or, or, or uh, appealing exhortation to nationalist issues and so on and so forth. But I think what turned the tide... Uh, strongly in Mamta's favor. We knew that she had an edge, that uh, people were loyal to her, 
but I think what turned the tide were two issues. One was this outsider and Bengal uh, pride issue. Uh, there were, after all, the BJP itself uh, strongly protested when uh, former chief economic advisor Ashok Lahiri was uh, was uh, asked to contest Alipurdwar. And uh, the local unit just revolted. They said, we don't want him. He's an outsider. So if that could happen in the BJP, I imagine it must have been a very strong feeling uh, uh, when Mamta uh, addressed it and said, you cannot let people from outside who don't understand the culture of Bengal to come and tell you what to do and what not to do. Uh, I think the second issue was uh, candidate selection and the BJP's uh, reliance on people imported from uh, Trinamool. Uh, most of many of these people were discredited. Some of them were uh, frankly... Uh, uh, transactional. I mean, the reasons for their going into BJP were very clear. And uh, I think she uh, capitalized on this. And uh, uh, I think that also made a, made some uh, some difference a difference in the in the uh, decision or uh, last minute decision of people. And. But overall, I tend to agree with Nilanjan's assessment that uh, people don't necessarily decide to vote one way or another at that point. They take a long view. And uh, in that situation, I think the appeal to women, as well as the social welfare schemes that Mamta has done, plus the overall infrastructure uh, changes that urban Be uh, Bengal have, uh, has seen, I think all that made quite a lot of difference. So, so let's stay in the East for a second and turn to Assam. I mean, many political analysts thought this would be the state that provided the best opportunity for the Congress to get a win. I mean, after all, this is a state where the BJP has had to carry the particular burden of incumbency, but also it's a, it's a state where, you know, there's been a fair degree of controversy over some of the BJP's key priorities, namely uh, the Citizenship Amendment Act or the CAA. And yet we see the BJP alliance easily won re-election. In fact, it dropped just three seats from its previous performance. Um, what are people saying about why the Congress so badly underperformed here? Uh, I'm not sure if the Congress uh, performed uh, underperformed so badly. Uh, they did an alliance with the AIUDF. Uh, which is essentially, I mean, you can call it what you want, but it's essentially a Muslim party. And uh, they also did an alliance with the Bodo People's Front, which uh, is another uh, uh, group which was earlier an ally of the BJP and then crossed over and joined the Congress. Uh, it split into two. And uh, the, the, the supposedly more popular uh, faction joined the Congress. Now, uh, it's true that the Congress threw everything it had in the Assam election, expecting that it would uh, win uh, and be able to form a government. Uh, it, it had a setback uh, right in the beginning, in November 2020, when it lost uh, Tarun Gogoi, the former chief minister, uh, who was one of the most, uh, who was both a, a, a problem as well as uh, the solution 
to the Congress because he was uh, old style, but there was no one who knew uh, the Congress in Assam better than uh, Tarun Gogoi. And he was, in, in a sense, uh, the lieutenant general of the battle, and they lost him. So, uh, frankly, when I had a chat with his son, Tarun uh, Gaurav Gogoi, who is an MP from Kolyabar, uh, he was not very confident that the Congress was going to do that well. But he said, I'm going there and I'll put everything I have into making my party win. Uh, so the situation is that uh, a united opposition uh, was also not able to defeat uh, the ruling BJP for a variety of reasons. Uh, very few people have taken into account the fact that the BJP addressed the issue of microfinance debts, debts by debt, uh, very uh, late, but nevertheless addressed it in a very convincing way uh, by bringing uh, legislation that would finish, uh, you know, uh, uh, this, is not, this is not a fact that is generally known, but microfinance is a huge problem in Assam. Uh, partly because people are simply not able to pay. And uh, it is, uh, I mean, all parties had said that we that they would waive the loans of farmers, uh, arising partly because of the microfinance uh, issue in the first place. Uh, the first state that reported microfinance uh, delinquency crisis was Andhra Pradesh, and they had to pass an ordinance to control the lending activities of uh, non-banking financial companies. And this was followed by uh, Assam. And uh, this, was a, this was a huge problem because women were, I mean, I, I, I saw on YouTube uh, a, a, a procession taken out as early as 5th February 2020 in Dibrugar. Thousands of women walking to the um, office of the magistrates in uh, Dibrugarh and asking and handing over a memorandum seeking to seeking permission to commit suicide because of the conduct of recovery agents from microfinance. Uh, in response to this, the government passed a law uh, making actually violating RBI's uh, 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 RBI rules and making. Uh, uh, recovery agents' conduct and the conduct of non-banking financial companies uh, even more stringent than it was earlier. So uh, the problem is, uh, the essential problem is regulatory design, but uh, I mean, the microfinance, India, India's microfinance sector is very well controlled and highly regulated, but the, the uh, the problem is also that people are simply not able to pay. And Assam has the highest number of delinquencies anywhere in India. So uh, it's a complicated is issue. But the government uh, stepped in and said, uh, we are going to stop this. And uh, uh, within days, uh, with very little opposition, uh, this was one of the, I think, last uh, decisions uh, that the government took uh, before the elections uh, was to pass a law for further controlling microfinance by state governments, which is completely illegal, frankly. Uh, so this was another issue. Uh, there were many other issues of, uh, you know, proximate uh, issues like uh, the, the, the crisis of, because of COVID or in the tea plantations, uh, the issues of swine flu, which uh, has affected the piggery sector in the state, 
which is a very big industry and uh, overall uh, you know problems of livelihood and uh, existence so i think all this led to um, the, the the result that you got uh, it's fascinating because the issues that you're speaking of um, generally have not featured very prominently in the commentary. Instead, much of it has been dominated by quote-unquote cultural issues. For instance, we know that in Assam, the BJP has felt some heat on the Citizenship Amendment Act issue. Interestingly, in Bengal, the BJP dropped the controversial NRC or National Register of Citizens from its poll pitch. Now, obviously, uh, it's very difficult to predict the future. We know uh, in the in the present term, the government is consumed by the COVID pandemic. Um, but as you kind of look over the horizon, uh, how do you see the CAA NRC issues playing out? Do you think that they will once more return to the fore the closer we get to twenty twenty four? They haven't gone away. But it also doesn't mean that they were uh, they were they were not poll issues. I mean, uh, Akhil Gogoi uh, contested from Shivsagar constituency while still in jail and has won that seat, and by a very very convincing margin of upwards of nine thousand votes. So this is after no campaign was held and only the the you know he he contested against the, only the BJP lady uh, Surabhi. Uh, I've forgotten her second name, uh, who uh, Rajkumar, I think, Surabhi Rajkumar from the BJP, who she had the field free, and yet he has won the seat. So uh, I think the, the the issue is very much there, but uh, uh, we should not decry the fact that while identity and social uh, existence issues exist, uh, there are also issues of livelihood, of delivery of. Uh, services by the state and uh, people who are questioning all of this so uh, that is that could be one reason why respective parties i mean frankly the assam uh, uh, if you look at the granular details of the uh, assam uh, result uh, it is not that different from what it was in the outgoing assembly you know if we turn to the south now uh Clearly, one of the most notable uh, things to turn our attention to is, is is the thumping victory of the LDF for the Left Democratic Front in Kerala. Um, the LDF won 99 out of 140 seats, leaving just 41 for the UDF led by the Congress Party. Uh, this is a state, and it's been commented upon um, th- throughout the last 24 hours, that has a decades-long record of consistently alternating between the UDF and the LDF. You know, you can count on very few things in Indian politics, but political turnover in Kerala is one of them uh, come every five years. However, the left managed to break this cycle. Um, I'm curious what you think is the prime reason. I've seen some people argue that, you know, the left's victory really has more to do with its governance record. It doesn't have much to do with kind of Marxism or leftist ideology. How do you see it? How do you think they managed to break out of this five-year cycle? Uh, it's That is a very difficult uh, question to answer. But uh, this much I can say with some confidence. Uh, Kerala was the one state, I mean, the, maybe we should approach the question differently, which is 
why didn't the Congress do so do well, and why did it do actually so badly? Uh, I think the answer lies, however uh, dismaying it may be, the answer lies in the fact that uh, Rahul Gandhi literally micromanaged this election more than any other election in the uh, uh, among all the assembly uh, elections. Uh, there were several candidates, young people, not necessarily associated with political lineages. Uh, in a sense, Kerala was a lab uh, Rahul Gandhi's pet project laboratory, which is um, to you know promote young people who uh, are uh, who have who have no uh, in that sense vested interests uh, or stakes in the uh, political system and who are there only for public service. Uh, if we are to judge by the outcome, uh, this strategy has been a spectacular failure. Uh, it's true that, uh, I mean, I was talking to somebody from the Congress in uh, uh, Kerala yesterday, and they were saying that uh, as a party, the party still has a structure it will still continue to agitate. It will still continue to remain a strong opposition. Uh, but uh, in this election, uh, it hasn't performed well, uh, partly because of the spectacular performance of the LDF's uh, delivery of state services, uh, but also because uh, young people who were fielded were perhaps not that well known in the areas or were uh, weighed uh, less than the heft and the weight of the CPIM uh, or the left parties. And uh, that could be uh, one reason, but we have to study this a lot more. I find that the Congress's uh, setback in uh, Kerala is uh, very, very uh, mysterious and needs to be studied more than any other state. Uh, I mean, not even West Bengal, frankly. But it's interesting, Aditi, because, you know, uh, it, it seems to me, that based on what you just said, that the, the, the Congress is kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, right? Because many people have said the problem with Rahul Gandhi is that he hasn't been actively engaged. He hasn't put his heart and soul in it. Um, he, he, he hasn't been trying to upend uh the kind of crustified norms in the party and the way things are done and here's a case where it seems in fact he has done many of those things and, and the party has still fallen short so uh it's hard to answer that question we don't know why and even in Vayanad, his own constituency uh the congress uh, hasn't done so well so we need to go down to granular detail and find out why it is that uh, the the and frankly, I mean, through the campaign, I didn't see the left front attacking the Congress in the way that they uh, might have done in uh, in Bengal or anywhere else. I mean, of course, in, in the past. Uh, this time, of course, they had an alliance. But uh, they didn't really focus on uh, the Congress in the virulent way that uh, they might have. It's It was more... Uh, you know, a gentleman's opposition kind of a way of looking at it. Uh, so I maybe that is the reason why the Congress could not really be uh, uh, emerge as a as a uh, spectacularly uh, effective opposition 
there was plenty to criticize. I mean, this is the first time that the the right hand man of the chief minister was has been caught in a corruption case. Uh, and I don't know. We may see an enforcement directorate raid on the chief minister uh, in the near future. Uh, it's not easy. It's not difficult to do enforcement uh, directorate raids these days. Um, so uh, there was a lot to say, but uh, I got the feeling that the Congress had held back somewhat, uh, and I wonder why. Interesting. L- let me let me go next door now to Tamil Nadu. We saw the opposition DMK alliance claim victory. This was largely expected, I think, in light of the divisions and fractures within the ruling AIA DMK. You know, Tamil Nadu is another interesting state like Kerala, where we have seen regular swings between these two parties, the DMK and the, its arch rival, the AIA DMK. Uh, Mr. Stalin, the son of the former chief minister of Tamil Nadu, uh, is set to be crown chief minister for the first time. Do you think that this election marks a kind of inflection point in Dravidian politics? Because we have a kind of passing of the baton as far as the DMK is concerned, and really a lot of question marks about where the AIA DMK goes from here. Uh, if you look at the the outcome of the election, uh, the AIA-DMK has done uh, well uh, actually only in Konganadu, which is the, the, the area of uh, influence of both the chief minister and the deputy chief minister. Uh, they have the, 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 the big sort of uh, big uh, uh, chunk of their uh, support or their seats comes from these, this area. The other, we have to understand that in Tamil Nadu, uh, everything works on the basis of fronts and uh, the fronts, uh, alliances. And uh, the AIDMK had an alliance with the PMK, the Patali Makkal Kachi, which, rep- which represents the Vanyar community. The Vanyar community, PMK, has also done extremely well in the, in the areas where it is, uh, where the the Vanyars are strong as a caste. Uh, so if you combine these two, this is the large chunk of the ADMK base now. Uh, they have done uh, very badly uh, in Chennai city, particularly in RK Nagar, where, uh, which was, as you know, Jayaladita's seat. Uh, they have done very badly uh, in uh, um, uh, southern Tamil Nadu. Uh, which is the Kanyakumari area and, uh, you know, uh, they have done badly in the upper reaches, the hilly regions of uh, Tamil Nadu. So uh, what I'm trying to say is that the the Congress and the ADM and the DMK Alliance has uh, done well in a secular kind of a way across, except in areas which are the area of influence of, uh, of the Chief Minister and the Deputy Chief Minister, and of course the Maniar community. So let me zoom back out for a second here because there are a number of questions um, more broadly about these results. Um, and I want to ask you specifically about one which has really emerged 
um, through a series of comments that uh, really commentators uh, across the board have been making, which is about the independence of the Election Commission of India. Uh, the political strategist Prashant Kishore had this to say, quote, I have never seen a more partial election commission from allowing the use of religion to scheduling the poll and bending the rules. The ECI did everything to help the BJP, end quote. He went on to call the agency an extension uh, of the ruling party. Um, do these criticisms have merit? Do you think that there is a, a, a kind of groundswell of, of, of feeling or sentiment that there is some kind of crisis of credibility, you know, facing what is arguably, you know, one of the most powerful elections agencies on the planet? <laughs> I feel a bit sorry for the election commission because on the one hand, they're being asked, why did you hold these elections? You are a set of murderers. And the, on the other hand, they are being told, uh, why didn't you hold the election to the Kerala Rajya Sabha seats? You have to hold it, otherwise we will hold you in contempt. The second comes from the Kerala High Court. The first comes from the uh, Tamil Nadu High Court, where uh, Justice Sanjeev Banerjee has come in for some uh, sort of, uh, not exactly a rap on the knuckles, but uh, uh, strictures by the Supreme Court for the language that he has used. The, the election commission did not take very kindly to his calling the ECI murderers. That's right. So, uh, which is really, I mean, I don't, I really don't know if uh, you can say that for them. Uh, now, for me, the test now will be the seat that Mamta Banerjee will have to contest from. Uh, the background is this: Mamta Banerjee has lost her Nandigram seat. She can contest from uh, any seat in West Bengal uh, as long as it's vacant uh, within six months. Uh, there are six seats which are likely uh, uh, going to fall vacant. Four are already vacant. Two for which elections did not take place because the candidates uh, had, uh, I mean, candidates died from COVID. Uh, this is uh, Shamsher Ganj and Jangipur where the candidates could, uh, you know, the election was countermanded even before it took place. Uh, two seats uh, where Lok Sabha candidates have contested uh, and will have to resign one or the other. Uh, most likely they will resign from uh, the assembly constituencies. So those two will fall vacant. And one constituency where the candidate contested the election, won and then died. So this is a constituency called Kharda, uh, not very far from Calcutta. So she can choose any of these to contest. Uh, but this is contingent upon the election commission ordering elections in the next six months. Otherwise, she will face the same kind of dilemma or crisis that Uddhav Thakre faced when he uh, almost uh, had to quit his chief ministership because he, uh, uh, you know, the governor and the election commission simply did not let him hold elections to the upper house, uh, which, by the way, is an indirect election, uh, in time. And he had to petition the prime minister, and the prime minister then had to call uh, uh, the governor, Mr. Koshiari, who is uh, law unto himself, uh, and who then had to be petitioned and, uh, you know, coaxed into uh, holding that election finally, allowing the election commission to hold the election. So the question is, 
whether in the at the height of the pandemic and with all these rulings from various uh, high courts across the country and the supreme court whether the election commission will uh, think it fit to hold elections uh, and if uh, if mamta banerjee has the chance to become chief minister uh, uh, i mean she's taking oath uh, i think in the next day or two she's gone to meet the governor even as we speak uh, but the fact is that she and trinamool uh, must be readying themselves to see in west bengal a bihar like situation when lalu yadav was convicted of corruption and had to find very hurriedly a replacement and gave the chief minister's chair to his wife rabdi devi so that situation may be very uh, remote but it cannot be ruled out uh, and in that case uh, i mean i'm being very speculative here but in that case it's possible that her nephew abhishek uh, who along with prashant kishore was the architect of the uh, candidate selection and uh, the strategy for the elections uh, becomes the next chief minister of bengal even though she's taking oath in the next 2 3 days Uh, I mean, it's this sort of a remarkable turn of events, right? I mean, you win a thumping victory, you lose your own seat, and now you have to roll the dice on a by-election, which may or may not happen uh, with within the prescribed time. Uh, let me ask you about another broader theme, which is about the impact of COVID. I mean, obviously, this is another issue; it's going to require a lot of study. But uh, if you look at the results in West Bengal, it seems as if the BJP's vote share did, in fact, decline. in the last couple of phases which is when the the intensity of the covid pandemic the second wave really picked up now a lot of people have said well you know it's not clear that it's covid because th- these were phases where the bjp wasn't expected to do particularly well these are places that were thrown in more strongholds do we have a sense at all if covid really impacted voter decision making this time around uh this is something i've been grappling with myself to understand and i am afraid i have not understood this first of all management of the pandemic or mismanagement of it was not an issue in the election at all i did not see any statements or any speeches which spoke specifically either about mamta banerjee's mishandling of the whole covid crisis or mamta banerjee supporters uh, charging that the center was not sending them uh, vaccines or uh, was not acting in time or that the medical facilities were inadequate because the center did not uh, step in or oxygen ran out because of the uh, center's mismanagement i haven't seen any of that so uh, i mean it's quite surreal because you have this 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 uh, crisis this public health devastating uh, epidemic uh, people are dropping dead in the middle of the street people are dropping dead outside hospitals because they can't get in and yet uh, they apparently hold no one to account and blame it on no one so uh, it's a it's quite a bizarre uh, situation but uh, i'm not sure if the uh, covid issue uh, played on the minds of people at all when they went to press that button if you look at the turnout the turnout was higher than the turnout uh, in the last uh, election 
people turned out in huge numbers to vote, 86 percent, 75 percent, 78 percent coming out and voting. Uh, almost as if there was this this urge, this this kind of pent up uh, uh, sort of uh, feeling that they wanted to express through the 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 button that they pressed. Uh, what was behind it, I really don't know. We need to do much more research and on the uh, on the ground. And uh, but this much is true that uh, the management of the pandemic. Uh, did not play a role in the campaign at all. Uh, Aditi, let me uh, bring this conversation to an end by asking you uh, another speculative question. But um, you know, based on your own judgment and assessment, w- where do political parties go from here? Namely, the BJP and the opposition. What? How does the BJP? shape the narrative. It is facing harsh criticism uh, from the international media. It is facing increasingly harsh criticism from the domestic media, especially digital media and on social media. Uh, Mr. Modi has become the subject of mockery on any number of WhatsApp memes. Uh, How does the BJP pivot? And, And what are the steps you think the opposition is going to take? You mentioned before that we might start to see some talks go on behind the scenes between dissenting congressmen who uh, are very unhappy with the way the direction of the, the, the Congress party is headed, you know, maybe reach out to other regional uh, leaders like Mamta Banerjee, Sharad Pawar, and others. Um, where do you see these two uh, elements headed? Well, the BJP is obviously uh, a little defensive, uh, the Sangh is also asking itself whether uh, it has done everything it can do within its power to, uh, as you know, supposedly the world's biggest uh, socio-political, socio-cultural organization, uh, whether it has done everything it could have done to uh, help out during this time of crisis um, and whether it's been visible at all. Uh, I saw that uh, Mr. Tejasvi Surya, who's the MP for uh, Bangalore, uh, has uh, given a and is also the the chief of the Bharatiya Yuva Janta Morcha, has given a call as late as April 2021 to start um, uh, helplines uh, by the manned by the by the Bharatiya Yuva Janta Morcha. Uh, which is which should have been in the front line, right? It should have been out on the streets, still helping people. Modi hinted as much uh, when he, uh, in his national, all his uh, later uh, uh, messages to the nation, where he said, "Mere ko kuch nahi hoga. Uh, I expect young people to go out and help people get vaccinated, etc." Uh, well, the response to that has come. Uh, almost a year after the pandemic has raged over India and taken millions of lives. So where were all these people all this time? But these are all questions which no doubt people will begin asking. Uh, Modi, uh, did this happen because of omissions and commissions of Modi? Uh, Whether it did or not, people are not ready to believe this. And uh, frankly, international media, the more it uh, reviles Modi, the more nationalist uh, Modi supporters are going to get. 
and uh, the more strong is going to be the response uh, in nationalist terms. We are already seeing some of that uh, in evidence. So uh, I think the pandemic and its handling as a political issue uh, has we have not seen the last word on it. Uh, as far as the opposition is concerned, I think uh, there is going to be some realignment of forces. Uh, Mamta Banerjee had written a letter to all leaders of oppositions saying that we need to come together to halt the march of the BJP. Uh, to my knowledge, very few uh, opposition leaders have responded to that letter beyond a thank you for your letter dated such and such so and so and we will get back to you uh, in that sort of a tone. Uh, so now that matter will be addressed and now that she is resurgent and uh, uh, not overly bothered about whether she becomes uh, Chief Minister of Bengal again or not, she is going to take the lead and, uh, well, I mean, I think if people uh, feel that they need another opposition, already Sharad Pawar has flagged the issue of UPA uh, being led from the front uh, and, uh, you know, the, ch the change in the UPA, which is not a formal body in the sense that uh, the Congress leads it uh, by dint of being the largest uh, uh, party in the opposition in the Lok Sabha. But that doesn't always have to be the case. So uh, there will be some sort of a, a, a realignment of forces. Uh, it may take a few weeks, maybe a month, maybe more months. But uh, I think the monsoon session of uh, Lok Sabha will be very interesting to watch. My guest on the show today is Aditi Fudnis. She is the political editor at the Business Standard newspaper. I think, uh, Aditi, you have proven why you are such a resource and font of knowledge on state and national politics. I would just point out to our listeners that in the last 24 hours, uh, Aditi's byline appears on not one or two, but four separate articles on the meaning of the state election results. Uh, both at the national level as well as state by state. We'll link to, to all of those pieces in the show notes. Aditi, I know that uh, both for you personally as well as for your friends and family, this has been an extremely stressing time. Um, we can't thank you enough for taking the time and sharing some of your insights with us today. I'm deeply honored. Thank you very much. Grant the Masha is a co-production of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace and the Hindustan Times. This podcast is an HD Smartcast original and is available on hdsmartcast.com, India's fastest growing podcasting producing platform. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to rate and review. It helps others find the show more easily. For more information about the show and to find the writing we referenced on this week's episode, visit our website, granthamasha.com. Production assistance comes from Jonathan Kay, Tim Martin is our audio engineer, and Cliff Jayapranada is our executive producer. Thanks for listening and see you next week. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.